in Jesus' name this morning. It's a blessing to be here at Wellspring with you all. For many years already, I've wanted to visit, not uh, to preach necessarily, but just to visit. And I was trying to remember when the when I first was introduced to uh, Wellspring, and I think it may have been when Marlon moved down here, and then of course was later joined by Meredith. But uh, Marlon was from our area, so uh, it's good to be back and visit them here again a bit uh, in this trip. Marlon was one of my school students years ago, and as we were reminiscing on that yesterday, I said, you know, whenever one of your school students uh, turns out to follow the Lord and do well, you have to ask yourself, is it because of you or in spite of you? And that's probably true in parenting and whatever. Um, it's all the grace of God by any means, and uh, it's good to remember that, I do believe. I don't know how many years ago it was then when I, brought, when I met uh, Brother Verlin and Tony, I think, were at SMBI Ministers Week. Might have been six years or so, I'm not sure. It's been a while. And, um, of course, more recently, we have one of yours in our church, and that's uh, Jaron. And uh, married to Sarah now, they're a blessing in our congregation as well. And uh, so, glad there can be some cross-pollination, I guess. But uh, certainly are glad to be here with you this morning. And uh, it was a blessing to be at the wedding yesterday as well. Invite you all to come join us some Sunday morning at, uh, in Meadville, Meadville Mennonite Chapels, the church that uh, we attend. And you're always welcome to come north and see us there as well. I've entitled my sermon this morning, Walking in the Light. And I'm going to begin with a, te- with a scripture that is not actually my text. That scripture is uh, found in Psalm 92, verses 19 to 15. This morning I'm, I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version. And I was struck with this passage a, uh, several years ago as I read it. And as I reflected on it again here this morning, it reminded me of of uh, the saying that we heard yesterday at the wedding, those of you who were there, begin with the end in mind. This is one of those, those uh, passages that uh, has the end in mind. Psalm 92, verse 12, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of God. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And I remember reading that and just thinking, you know, that's a picture of what I want to be when I'm an old man, one who's still flourishing, growing, planted in God's house, still bearing fruit in old age. And uh, I think when you meet those people You'll love to be around them. I've observed older people tend to either become more dynamic and beautiful as they get old in spite of their faces becoming wrinkly and whatever, or else they become cynical. Have you ever noticed that? It tends to be one way or the other. (laughs) They get old and cynical, or else they become dynamic uh, people who love the Lord. And it's my hope that uh, as we grow older, we become more dynamic and beautiful. 
people who are bearing fruit. But as I think about that, I have considered a problem that I have observed among Christians that will keep them from becoming people who bear fruit in old age. And I'd like to uh, maybe introduce that by having you consider um, a story that you, I'm sure some of you are familiar with. How many of you, if I say the name Bernie Madoff, would know who I'm talking about? I figured just a few hands would go up. Not everybody. I remember hearing that name about a year ago. I saw it in the news. Bernie Madoff died, and I was like, who is that? I couldn't quite pull it back, but as I, as I looked, I was like, oh, yeah, that's what it is. If I say, well, no, I'm not going to say the word. Bernie Madoff died in jail with a 150-year life sentence. And uh, he died because he had swindled many people out of money. In fact, they say that uh, thousands of investors were defrauded out of approximately, depends which figure you go by, the initial figure at least being $17 billion. And he had promised great interest, and uh, with all of the interest in, included and so on, they say it was worth like $64.8 billion that he had swindled people out of. Well, I shouldn't say he had swindled, them all, swindled that much out of them, but at any rate, he had swindled a lot of people out of money. The, the way he did this is by using what they call a Ponzi scheme. And I figured if I say the word Ponzi scheme, maybe that would jog some memory. So that's the word I was just thinking about this morning. Ponzi scheme, essentially, what he was doing was getting people to invest in his firm, making it look like he would pay great dividends, which, in fact, I think he did to the people initially. But unlike a good investment that is actually used to build something of worth, the Ponzi scheme is not really built on anything that is of actual worth. It's only, you only pay back what you owe by borrowing more from other people. So you promise big, big uh, interest, and so, yeah, I want to make you know, big interest too, so I invest here. Well, in the end, there's, it gets caught up or, or it gets found out, and there's nothing left in the business to pay back the investors. It's a Ponzi scheme is what they call that. And as I thought about that, you know, not only was he operating a financial Ponzi scheme, but Bernie Madoff, no doubt, was also, his life had become a Ponzi scheme, so to speak. And that's what I want us to consider this morning. His life was built on deception and fraud, and when it was all said and done, he was left a poor, miserable man in prison with a 150-year life sentence and had only lived several of those years out, of course, until he died. But the problem I referenced earlier that will keep us from being fruitful in old age, I think, is duplicity, dishonesty, pretense. Pretending to be somebody better than what we really are. And I'm proposing this morning that if we do that, we're like a Ponzi scheme. We're building our lives up on something that's a house of cards that's about to crash one day. You know, you see this pretty clearly in the world around you. Uh, politicians do this all the time. In fact, we have this word we talk about being, he's a political, right? What's it mean? What, what do you mean when you say, well, he's such a political person? Well, it simply means 
He just says the right thing to get you to believe what he wants you to believe, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's who it is, right? It's, it's, it's deception and fraud in there, and I'm not saying every politician is that way, but, well, there's a reason why we talk about people being political. Or in the business world, you know, you see this. You read the business literature, and it's so much out there about build your image. you got to get your image, right? And uh, the, the, the focus is on getting your name out there and getting an image that is going to attract business. Well, I'd like to ask you this morning, is your life merely an image or is there substance there? Is it a Ponzi scheme? Now, my guess is we're somewhere, most of us are somewhere in the middle. I doubt that there's anybody here It's just a complete fraud. And I doubt there's anybody here that actually at every turn of the road can just say, yes, I've got my motives pure. I, I live completely open and honest with people. As I look at my own life, I'm like, you know what? There's places to grow here in this. And I don't do this as perfectly as I want to. So my, my uh, hope this morning is that we can evaluate where, where are we being dishonest? Where is it that the Lord is calling us to live more of a, of a transparent kind of life? But I've, I've also noticed that we're born with this uncanny instinct to build and to prop up our image, to have people believe something about us that may not be true. You see this in children right off the bat. I mean, they get to be a year or two old, and pretty quickly they're like, you know, they use deception, they use bribery, manipulation. They're trying to get you to believe something that's not true, right? And um, this is part of the reason why I believe that it's important to teach our children to be honest. And I remember um, as a child, I was taught not to tell lies. And being a liar was a big deal. And I, I took that seriously. I, I tried very hard not to tell lies. But what I didn't do, and I came to realize this along, somewhere along the line, that I missed a piece of this. It's like as long as I didn't tell the lie, the outright lie, it was okay. You know, I could deceive, I could manipulate, I could get my parents to believe something as long as I didn't say the words that were a lie, right? <laughs> well, I missed the point. And the point here is that it's not just what we say, but it's how we live. It's what we do. Are we people of integrity and uh, honesty in, in every way? I'd like for us to uh, just consider a little bit, maybe a little bit of self-evaluation to start with. I'm, I'm trying to help us understand maybe what I mean here when I talk about image. So consider for just a bit what your public image is. What do people around you think of you? And you can think about this if uh, you're in the business world. Well, you know, what do your business partners or the people you do business with? Or even if you're not in the business world, you're out there buying things at Home Depot or whatever store you go to. What's the, what's the image people have of you? Or um, your neighbors. What do your neighbors think of you? If you were to, uh, and maybe you don't know. <laughs> maybe you can't really tell. You wonder sometimes. But what do you think? they think of you. So I'm, I'm trying to help you understand what, what's my image like? What do your friends think of you? And now I'm getting right to the point where I want us to, to, to think about this most carefully. What, 
do your brothers and sisters who sit in the pews think of you? If you were to find out, do you have any idea what they would say? It's a little scary to try to go down. Now, I'm not trying to help us go into some big bunny trail here and think that it's all important. I've got to figure out what people think of me. That's not my point. My point is we do have a, we have a public image. And my question is, does this public image, this persona that we have about ourselves, match the reality of what's going on in our lives? And that's the, that's the burden of, of what I want to think about. Now, so I just talked about your church image. What, does, what do the people around you perceive of you? Now, the question here that gets at this is, there, there's a number of questions. What actually happens in your home? So... Your mom, your dad, your uh, a youth, a child, whatever, and the people at church think what they think of you. If they saw what you do at home, would they think the same thing of you? Or would they all of a sudden say, that's a little different than what I thought he was like? In other words, is your wife, your children, your husband those most closely acquainted with you, is their image of you the same as the people you go to church with? And that's kind of where I'm really wanting to go with this. But I actually think it goes a little deeper even than just what your wife and children see. It comes right down to your daily habits. What are your, what's your private life like? What are the things that are happening behind closed doors that nobody sees? Maybe not even your wife. Maybe not your husband. Maybe not your mom and dad. And if you want to drill just a little bit deeper yet, a question I've had to ask myself already is, what are the thoughts and the uh, what's my heart like? And my heart is often re best revealed by my thoughts. Stop and evaluate your thoughts toward other people sometime or toward Life in general, what are you thinking about? Jesus said that uh, it's from within, out of the heart, that you operate. This is who you really are, what your thoughts, what your thoughts in your heart are. He said, for from within, out of the heart of man, come, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now, if evil comes from the heart, then goodness comes from there too. So it's not just evil, but what I'm wanting us to think about is that the thoughts of our hearts, our attitudes towards people, actually get right to the core of who we are. And that, in a lot of ways, says something about whether who I actually am aligns with this persona, this image that people have of me. And as I already said, I assume there's, there's a gap in some degree. I mean, I, I see that. And, and you're all sitting there having your own opinion about my image, standing here, understand that. Actually, it probably doesn't matter so much what most of you think as what the people that I go to church with think. That's where I actually want to keep this. More like those who ought to know, do they know who I am? Or am I hiding? So, closing the gap between my image and reality. 
So I don't know how big that gap is. As you did a little bit of self-evaluation there, did you find like, oh boy, there are huge gaps here. I got a lot of work to do here. Or did you find, you know, yeah, there's some dishonesty here. I, I don't know where you are all there, but uh, I'd, I'd encourage us to think about that. And I want to, uh, to look at some things here that I think get at closing that gap and becoming people of integrity and honesty, Christ-like character and actions. I'd like to look here uh, briefly at Psalm 139. I'm going to read most of this if you want to turn there. Not going to expound on it a lot, but just pull out a few things here. I think if we're going to become people who close that gap between our image and what is real, really true about us, we need to begin by humbly accepting who God is in comparison to who we are. And this is where I go to Psalm 139. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now I want you to think about this. I don't know how you generally think about these first couple verses in Psalms. Maybe you think the psalmist is just saying, Lord, thank you, you've searched me, you've known me, you know me from the beginning. I see these first couple verses more like it's just this, this realization hits him that, wow, God knows, He sees right down to the core of who I am. You've searched me, you've known me from the inside out. Just listen to how he says this. Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. It's like he gets this picture that, look, it doesn't really matter what I thought was in secret. It doesn't matter what people think of me. God knows. <laughs> And brothers and sisters, He does. We need to start with that fundamental reality that God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. Everywhere we go, we can't get away from Him. How's it say in Revelations? He's got a book where He's writing down the deeds. He sees all you do. He hears all you say. My Lord's are writing all the time. God is everywhere. It's a scary thought. At least it's sobering. And we ought to just remember that. It's almost as if the reality of the psalmist's vulnerability, his nakedness, if you will, hit him. It's kind of like, I can't get away from God. At least one being is able to see past my public persona, my image, to who I really am down at the core of my being. But let's keep going. It's like a shift here. So yes, God is all-knowing, and it's sobering, it's somewhat frightening. But notice the goodness and the love that he talks about in the next couple verses. God's thoughts toward us are benevolent. He, he loves us. It's not this fearful, 
oh, God is such a scary being, I can't relate to him. No, he's good. Listen to what he said here. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are your, to me are your thoughts, O God. I love that. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I, could, if I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. He's saying here, look, ever since conception, God has been intimately involved in my development. He loves me. He cares for me individually. In spite of the fact that he's got how many people? Seven plus billion people in the world to care for. And he does a wonderful job of it, yet he's omniscient, omnipresent. He can be taking care of everybody at one time, and he still loves each of us individually. You know, sometimes I think we're afraid to allow others to see and to know who we really are. Perhaps it's because we're afraid of the consequences. And yes, people may respond in wrong ways. You know, when we open up to people sometimes, they don't always respond the way they should. But that is no excuse to continue hiding. God loves us. Rest assured that in spite of people not responding accurately or properly, God loves us. God loves you. And even if others don't, He will uh, take care of it. And I know what it's like. As a pastor, I don't always respond the way I should. We don't get this right every time. Please give grace to your... Uh, what do you say, your brothers and sisters when they don't respond maybe the way that you think they should? And then I'd like to jump to the last few verses here. It's in, we talked about God being omniscient, omnipresent. He's a God of goodness and love. And then at the end here, he comes back and says, yes, in spite of the fact that God loves, he is still holy and righteous. Catch this. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's like, God, okay, just search me. Ransack me. Check me out. Go through all the closets. Get everything out. I, I'm not hiding any longer. It's, it seems like when he's come to this realization of God's goodness that he can, no, he, can, he can be at a point where he no longer needs to be fearful of this omnipresent, omniscient God. You say, look, God, you see anyhow, just... Just search me. Clean house, if you will. He shifts from this fearful realization that God sees all to inviting God to ransack him. So we begin by a proper understanding of God and his love for us and his desire for holiness and righteousness in our lives. And then we move on. I do think closing the gap requires us to allow our brothers and sisters in the church to see who we really are. This is what I call walking in the light. And the scripture I have here, if you wish to turn there, is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is a message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I'd like to just pull out a few phrases there. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. So let's just get that straight right up front. You call yourself a Christian, but you're walking in darkness. If you, if you continue to hide sin in your life, he says you're a liar, and his truth is not in you. John is pretty black and white here. He doesn't mince words when he says these kind of things. But he says... It's like the opposite of this hiding sin is walking in the light. But if we walk in the light, he says, we then have fellowship one with another. You know, hidden sin in our lives affects our fellowship with each other. It really does. When we have to hide what we got going on down in here from the people we go to church with, it puts a barrier there. It, you might think you're having fellowship, but you can only go so far, and then you have to stop. Because if they really see who you are, suddenly they realize your life's not what, you, what they thought it was. And we get scared at that level. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. It just, again, it's black and white. And I don't think this is saying that we never fail. But when we fail, we get up, we confess our sins, we are open with our brothers and sisters about it instead of just hiding that and continuing to practice the sin. It's the practicing of the sin that he says that, we, that makes us people who are walking in darkness, people who are not born of God. He says that's a, that's a marker. He goes on here and he says, "...if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves." But on the contrary, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. I think this confession is not just between me and God. I confess to God that I sin. Yes, we start there, but it's a confession with brothers and sisters in the church. And I'm not one who says that every, every sin needs to be confessed publicly. I'm not, I'm not there. But what I am convinced of, there should be nothing hidden in our lives that we can't tell a small group of people, at least, in our churches about what's going on. There should just be no secrets in that sense. <laughs> it, it's kind of like if, if we knew that everybody all of a sudden saw what happened in the last week in my life, yeah, we don't necessarily go tell everybody, but we would have nothing to be afraid of, right? We, we, just, we just open with each other in that sense. And I think of it sometimes, and, and I, I fail here. I'm like, boy, what about my thoughts? If everybody just knew my thoughts. Ooh, suddenly I'm like, wow, I got some work to do here, right? But it's not, here's the way I think about that too. Our thoughts toward others ought to be gracious and kind and loving. It doesn't mean that we never will think anything that, um, how do you say it? Sin is grievous. And when, when things aren't right, sometimes we need to think things that we don't just say to everybody. But it's an attitude of our hearts about whether we love and we respect others in the way we even think about them. And I'm, I'm, that's a place I'm just working on, like, every thought of my heart, can it be gracious? Can it be loving, even as the truth is hard at times? 
James said, verse uh, five, chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. John chapter 3, verse 19, And this is a judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I suppose you've all, you've all seen this already. I, I remember when I was a school teacher, I thought about that. There were certain students you could just trust. You knew they walked in the light. They, they, they came to you with an open face. They weren't trying to hide. You didn't have to worry about walking out of the room and thinking that they're going to all of a sudden be doing things you shouldn't. And then there were others that it seemed like they walked in darkness. And I think I knew what that was like because as a student, I did the same thing. I remember before I came to the Lord, I had the same problem. Like, yes, I would, I would conform when the teacher was there, but when the teacher wasn't here, suddenly I'd, I didn't have to listen, right? <laughs> That's walking in darkness kind of thing. It's like that idea that, that I'm shifty. I can't quite be trusted. And he's saying here, look, if you walk in the light, you have nothing to hide. You, 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 life is so much better. Yes, it might feel like it's going to be hard, but it's so much better. Coming to the light, walking in the light, includes being honest with our brothers and sisters in the church about who we are, about our struggles and failures, our besetting sins. We don't hide. We learn not to portray ourselves as better than we really are. It means that I refuse to build or maintain an image that doesn't align with what's true about me. That's what walking in the light is. Now, maybe I should have said this up front, but closing this gap is ultimately God's work of transforming us from the inside out. It's not something we just do on our own, but it does come through God's work. Our part here is to repent, to turn to the Lord, turn from our sins and allow God to redeem and transform. Transformation is the work of God in our hearts. We don't do it on our own, and don't let me... Don't, I don't want you to hear me preaching some kind of a, we do this on our own kind of thing this morning. I know that transformation is the work of God. Our part, though, it seems, it, it's, well, I wrote it this way. Transformation is the work of God. Transparency with each other is the method he uses. It's like he wants us to be transparent with each other. And again, there's appropriate and inappropriate ways to do this. But we ought not to be hiding is the point. So, maybe again, a little bit in the self-evaluation thing. How much of what I do and say is done and said merely to make me look good, to build my image? Is there a, a gap between my image and who I really am? And I want to say this morning, I'm again not talking about a sinless perfection thing, but integrity. So, for example, uh, here's, here's a, uh, just an example of this. Do I have outbursts of anger at home that I'm not willing to honestly disclose to my brothers and sisters at church. That's, that's one of those gaps that I'm talking about. You know, it's uh, just at our fellowship meal last Sunday, we got to talking at the group of people here among us. You know, Sunday mornings, you, any of you here like this, Sunday mornings getting ready for church can be one of the most stressful times in your family. And you... Uh, by the time you're out the door, you're in each other's throat and, you know, you're mad. Why is that? 
I don't know why, but whether it's Sunday morning or whether it's other outbursts of anger or whatever, I do remember, part of the reason I'm thinking of a Sunday morning, I do remember one time not too long ago where I got mad Sunday morning, just going out the door at, uh, at my children of all things. Now, I may have even had to preach that morning. I don't know. But what's with that? Now, I didn't, don't hear me saying transparency and, and uh, what do you say, um, this walking in the light doesn't mean that I have to go to the church still mad at my children. It's probably okay to pull it together <laughs> and, and not disrupt the service. But my question there is, do I keep that hidden? Or can I, maybe in testimony time, maybe I do need to say, you know what, I have a confession to make this morning. I, I blew it. I got mad when I shouldn't have. That's the kind of openness and transparency I'm talking about. Or maybe... Sometimes it takes us a week or two to think through this, and God kind of works on us. And I know in my case there, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, what, what is behind that? And I think there's that lack of, maybe it's meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so we bring that to the congregation. We say, look, I need help here. Can you pray for me? That's the kind of openness and transparency I'm talking about.